Today, we can say that our long national hibernation is beginning to come to an end and life is returning to our streets and to our shops. The bustle is starting to come back and a new but cautious optimism is palpable. But I must say to the House, it will be all too easy for that frost to return. And that is why we will continue to trust in the common sense and the community spirit of the British people to follow this guidance, to carry us through and to see us to victory. That was UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson addressing the House of Commons on 23rd of June. He had just announced a series of measures that amounted to a relaxation of the coronavirus lockdown. Britain and other European countries are now emerging from the toughest social restrictions in peacetime history. As people come out of their homes, they are eager to meet friends and loved ones and head back out into the world. But people are scared. They have been told to stay home for months to protect their lives and the lives of vulnerable family members. As society prepares for the new normal, all are acutely aware that the virus is still active in the population and its threat needs to be minimised in any way possible. As well as altering our behaviour and practising social distancing, this will mean looking at how public spaces are configured and managed to make this possible and to make sure that people feel that they are safe. It is a massive challenge for councils and businesses all over the country and we're going to find out exactly what can be done about it and learn that there are billions of pounds available to make this happen. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Rian Owen. For this episode, we have partnered with consultancy firm Atkins, a member of the SNC-Lavalin Group, to get to grips with the safety measures that will become necessary in public spaces and infrastructure as the lockdown begins to ease. We will look at what the lasting impact on the built environment might be as we enter a post-Covid world. On the 13th of May, the government published its guidance. Coronavirus. Safer public places, urban centres and green spaces. The document focuses on the design principles for safer urban centres and green spaces. Urban centres covers places such as high streets, shopping centres, train stations or car parks, while green spaces refers to parks. It gives advice to owners of public space on how to keep people safe as the restrictions are relaxed and as bustle returns to our town centres. For example, walkways could be widened to help with social distancing or perhaps automatic doors could be installed to reduce the need to touch surfaces that might carry the virus. The guidance applies in England only and while it does not impose any legal obligations, it is recommended for all owners and operators of public places and sets out guidance across the main types of places in urban centres and green spaces that the government advises should be assessed and adapted as necessary to operate safely in line with social distancing measures. We have linked to the guidance and some other useful documentation in our show notes. My name is Neil Manthorpe. I'm a landscape architect and urban designer. 
working for Atkins. I lead our London team in the design and implementation of public realm schemes uh, across London and select international cities. Neil's team has been involved with the design guidance from the beginning, supporting the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government with its production. The design guidance is put together for local authorities and landowners and really sets out what the sort of typical issues and the typical solutions that it will resolve. Now it's for all of England, so all of the different local authorities, so clearly each urban centre or high street is unique in its own sense, but there's some typical threads that all urban centres tend to have, and these are around them being within constrained and complex urban environments with a lot of different things going on. Right now, there is a lot of work to be done. If you have had cause to venture outside of your home for essential travel, you may have seen blocked walkways, locked public toilets, taped up bins, benches cordoned off, none of which is desirable. Well, at the moment, the approach, and understandably, has been um, a very rapid response to the issues that we're facing. So temporary measures, including cones, crash barriers, and that has very quickly allowed additional space for people to move around. What it hasn't achieved is a pleasant environment for people to uh, visit or be within. It doesn't always adhere to all of the standards that I think we'd like to see. And there are further steps that can be taken to try and integrate some of these proposals. The proposals that will allow public spaces to open up more practically for the longer term, which Neil expects, will happen in three phases. The first being reopen. This is enabling social distancing, active travel and allowing businesses to reopen. The second is recovery. Integrate social distancing, active travel and assist businesses to recover. And thirdly, to reimagine, that is, repurpose places for people and revitalise our urban centres and businesses. In other words, to build back better. The next logical step is to think through what the solutions might be. And they fit within nine categories. These are widening footways and removing street clutter. Reducing vehicle speeds to 20 miles per hour and prioritising pedestrians and cyclists. Travel demand management of different shops, businesses and offices opening hours, and who can use them. The provisions of signs and information. Influencing the circulation of urban spaces, for example, keeping left or circulating clockwise. Providing on-street support marshals, park wardens and a police presence. An increased regime of street and furniture cleaning digital tools and apps and consultation with stakeholders to engage on future plans for their urban centres. And these have been outlined in the guidance and one of the other things that the guidance has provided is a, a roadmap which allows local authorities to follow through the process to identify what these typical issues are, to identify what the typical solutions might be for their area. This is all supported by post-Covid case studies for example, Manchester City Council is trying to enlarge the space for pedestrians and cyclists on its Deansgate Street, which should help with social distancing. This will involve a road closure under a temporary experimental traffic order with a view to closing part of the road permanently. The temporary closure will be enforced with bollards that can be taken down once per day for deliveries. 
So already we're starting to see examples of where businesses are adapting the spaces around them. So in Rotterdam, parklets have been allowed um, across the city and that's the transformation of the parking or the loading bay outside a shop or uh, a food and beverage or a cafe and they can convert that into anything from a, a stall to serve items on the street or perhaps a seating area for the cafe and it's just something to that starts to support businesses and gives them more space to operate in and as we know being outside is a safer environment to be in and will hopefully encourage more people to um, embrace and integrate with these businesses as they, they, they start to recover. And I think that's something that's being looked at across London. And I think it's something that Boris has Boris Johnson has alluded to for all of the UK. And I think would be an, an effective support mechanism to many um, businesses, particularly those in the sort of retail food and beverages industries. Transport has also been affected. Some really interesting changes are being made here, and quickly with the rise in active travel. Active travel refers to any travel that requires physical effort, such as walking, cycling, scooting, skating, or even running. They all give enormous health and environmental benefits. Encouraging this in the future is vital, and Neil says that the guidance has some great examples. There's been particularly some effective um, undertakings in Berlin and in Milan um, and getting some sort of these sort of pop-up cycle lanes integrated in, in there very quickly. With cramped public transport now a less desirable prospect and with the noticeable improvements in air quality that have come from lockdown, cycling has emerged as a really big winner. Milan, for example, is rapidly rolling out 35 kilometres of new cycle lanes during the lull in road traffic. Road space was reallocated away from car use to accommodate the lanes. City officials hope to give locals the option of cycling to avoid a return to normal. Meanwhile, in Berlin, existing cycle lanes have been widened as part of a similar response. And throughout all of this, the response is trying to look beyond reactive measures. Engineers and planners have the building back better philosophy on their minds. There is an opportunity for us to reimagine our futures and what we have seen is a huge increase in the number of people working from home. We've seen an increase in the number of people walking and cycling and we have seen a huge increase in people being dependent on local services. Now clearly that will change as public people start using public transport again, offices start to reopen but some of this will be staying with us for the longer term and I can envisage more people taking on a more localised um, standard of living, uh, reliant on their local services more in the longer term and I think that will change the lifestyle of many of us. Some of the conditions that we had become accustomed to may no longer be acceptable. The air quality in our cities is uh, of re really poor standards and is, is damaging and shortening our life expectancies. We've got an obesity issue within the UK um, with many people being overweight or obese. And simply put, if you cycle more and more, there's less pollutants being pumped into the, the environment. Our air and quality improves and um, our, our fitness levels and the, the sort of quality of our hearts 
improves too. So it's a, it's a great solution and one that doesn't have to cost uh, anywhere near as much as many of the other solutions that are often looked at. But to do this effectively, these ideas have to be shared widely, much more widely, and that means more engagement with owners and managers of public spaces. It sounds like a job for a task force. So we've set up the Safer Public Places task force that is, in the first instance, speaking with local authorities and providing further um, assistance, really, with the design guidance. And we've, we've run many of these seminars now with local authorities to help them get the emergency measures down on the ground. Um, and really, at this moment, we're, we're just looking for opportunities to disseminate this information as, as far and wide as possible to ensure all our local authorities are able to, to deliver um, against the resources that they have. Of all of the conversations held with local authorities, funding is their biggest concern. And there are three main pots that we are currently aware of. There is the 3.2 billion from the Department of Housing, Communities and Local Government to help communities through crisis. So that, that is a significant fund to, that can be drawn down upon there. There is the emergency funding that the government brought forward of 250 million for local authorities to implement the temporary measures or the emergency measures. And there is also a, a further or a total fund of 2 billion and the additional funding is going to be released later this year, I believe. Um, that one isn't currently available. There's also funding available from the European Regional Development Fund, and that's for 50 million. So there's these avenues available to local authorities specifically related to coronavirus and the guidance being issued. But f existing funding routes also need to be explored. And I think it's looking at the public and private sector investment opportunities that can help achieve more than just the temporary measures and perhaps look at creating a more integrated public realm approach. So funding is available, but where are we now in the whole three-stage Safer Spaces plan? We're sort of coming towards the end of that reopening phase with many shops and businesses now reopen. Our, our schools are opening up again as well for, for many children. And we've been able to enable this through many of the emergency and temporary measures that have occurred across the UK. Now, where we're starting to move into is a, a recovery phase. And what we need to now start looking at and start to think around is what we can do to better support these businesses as they reopen. What do our shops and restaurants need to enable successful futures for them and, and help both uh, people, businesses and the economy to recover. And then the, the sort of third piece is, this really is a unprecedented, a very unique time. And one of the most important things, according to Neil, is to consider all of these spaces as one continuous system, to avoid thinking of them in isolation. We have been looking very much at what you can do within the public realm, how you can change and adapt our public spaces um, for people to move around. But it can't be done in isolation. And I think that's a really important point to hone in on, that you need to understand what's happening internally, be that with a, a train station, with a school, with an office, how they function, how people are moving, 
in and out, but you need to replicate that within the public realm as well. So you need to have a sort of foot in both camps and to be able to recognise what's happening externally as well as internally, within the private land, within the public space, um, and ensure they're working seamlessly together because you can rectify one, but if the other one isn't aligned, it, it, it won't be nearly as effective. The fundamentals around about the public realm and space throw up a whole bunch of, of interfaces. You've got the interface between pedestrians and, and transport and road traffic. You've got the interface between the, the public and the private. This is Robbie Classy, Atkins Associate Director for Infrastructure. He is referring to the grey areas that are the interfaces where two spaces meet, and responsibility might be unclear. So the public realm itself, like your high streets and your pavements, and for example, university campuses, or if you have kind of office campuses, which have a kind of private public realm, and that extends into the private as in into the shops themselves or into the businesses themselves as well. But there are larger interfaces, which have been considered by engineers in the past, but have been thrown into sharper focus by the crisis. And I think the third main interface is between kind of transport hubs and the public. Um, those interfaces, I mean, space is finite, and those interfaces are are, are things which, which interact every day. And I just think that it's put a spotlight, the, the social distancing aspects really put a spotlight on the interfaces themselves. And these murky areas can make it complicated to know which of the funding streams the ones that Neil mentioned earlier, are appropriate. Some other grey areas, I think, um, are around kind of funding and financing. It's all, I mean, even pre-COVID, uh, funding and financing is always a question mark. The space all works together. There is a, there's a grey area really around about which kind of um, funding stream is, is used for, for what. And that extends also into a timeline. So if you think of reopen being an emergency response and recover being a kind of short to medium term and reimagine being the kind of longer term aspirations, there are some grey areas and question marks around about the funding streams and, and how they should be applied. Because ultimately, if you spend, spend money now on a, on a short term solution, ultimately the downstream, that can cost you a little bit more in, in the long term. And I think you need to look at that in a more holistic manner. But not all public spaces are starting from scratch. Engineers have been working for years on making many of our most important public spaces more versatile. I think one thing to note is that when we're thinking about a building back better, there's a lot of there's, there's a huge amount of really, really good design already. And um, so if you look at some of the kind of modern urban urban design that actually account and look at it a little bit more holistically between architecture and active travel, looking at that interface between pedestrians and, and transport, it's already suitable for a kind of post-COVID response. So you're looking at these things and thinking to yourself, well, well, actually, we don't even need to worry about that because it's got the flexibility built in and designed into it. And that's just good design because I think there's, a, there's some synergies between the requirement for a social distancing and the kind of, if you like, the, the green infrastructure and the green architecture. Robbie points to Exhibition Road in South Kensington as an example of this. The road is home to some of the most important visitor attractions in the country including the Victoria and Albert Museum, the Natural History Museum, the Science Museum, the Royal Albert Hall and Imperial College London. And as such, it attracts over 11 million visitors per year. The complex flow of the millions of visitors, vehicle traffic 
and general London street clutter made the road chaotic and confusing to visitors. So the unwelcoming road was transformed into a stunning streetscape in a project that was completed in 2011. Exhibition Road is a high street where they actually, it was one of the first, I think, to to essentially blend um, road traffic and with, with people and it seems to work very effectively. So I could easily see uh, many more schemes that where they're actually using the urban landscape as a, in, in a much more holistic sense uh, and you actually look at pedestrians and, and vehicles as, as one really. It gives that level of flexibility. Space is finite and a flexible environment that faces the need to accommodate more pedestrians, for example, can do that. The new single surface design is curb free with the minimum of street furniture and barriers. Having a less distinct track for through traffic encourages motorists to drive more cautiously and slowly with greater awareness and consideration for pedestrians. It also provides greater flexibility in the way Exhibition Road can be used in the future. But has enough been done? Will people feel safe enough to return to the high street? A large part is attracting people back to the town centre. What's going to incentivise people to start visiting shops again? They, they need to be in a, a safe and welcoming environment. And I think a, a big part of that is ensuring that the environments that people go and visit, it's, it's not just the, the sort of plastic cones and crash barriers. It, it's more integrated. It's the sort of uh, design language within the town centre that was there before but perhaps some of the interventions that have been introduced so far have, have eroded away and it's looking how those environments can be more inviting to, to people and individuals. We are in a totally new situation and while we have a roadmap to take us, as best we can, into this new world, a lot will depend on people. I think what, what generally happens when you have a, have a crisis or when you have a, a need to pivot and change is the market solves it. The tools are there and, and people will make their own decisions and therefore I don't think it's going to be a, a government-led one-size-fits-all. I think it will get pushed back into the people and I think it will be distributed down into the marketplace and it will be people ultimately that make the decision and get the economy back on its feet and get the world turning again. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. Produced by Alex Conacher and Rian Owen. Edited by Bernadette Ballantyne and Matthew Thomas. Sound engineering by John Young. And our executive at a distance is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Atkins and the Department of Housing Communities and Local Government. Thank you for listening. You can listen to us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, or share us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. 